，享受工作，乐生活。就算不在办公室，也能从容应对线上会议。HP Dragonfly 透过专业的 HP Presence 设计，内建降噪及会议快速键，搭配清晰的 Ben and Olufsen 音效，增强音讯及视讯功能。HP Dragonfly 顶级商务笔电，采用 Windows 11专业版。让您在会议中享有最佳的视觉和听觉品质。A total of 37 Chinese warplanes led an incursion into Taiwan's air defense identification zone from Thursday to Friday morning. The incursion featured seven different kinds of aircraft, including J-11 and J-16 fighter jets. The defense ministry says Taiwan's military had a full grasp on the situation. And that response measures were launched. And according to a retired Air Force official, the military adapts its strategy with each incursion to respond quickly, effectively, and directly to any threat from the outside. Thirty-seven Chinese warplanes, including J-11 and J-16 fighters, intruded into Taiwan's southwestern air defense identification zone. The defense ministry says it had a full grasp on their movements and activated Taiwan's defensive systems. 各型机机三十七架次进入我西南空域 A total of 37 warplanes entered our southwestern ADIZ. Some of them moved eastward over the Pacific Ocean to carry out air reconnaissance and long-distance training. The military had a full grasp on the PLA's movements, and dispatched aircraft, vessels, and shore-mounted missile systems to closely monitor and respond to the situation. The aircraft, vessels, and shore-mounted missile systems activated to monitor the situation are Taiwan's defensive systems. They include dispatching aircraft already in the air to the intruded airspace on follow-up reconnaissance missions, scrambling jets to drive away the intruders, and activating missile tracking systems to track airborne threats above ground and sea. A former Air Force official says each deployment varies depending on the situation. The PLA can send up nine different aircraft, all of which fly at different speeds and altitudes. The time they reach their destinations is different, and the time they spend in the air is also different from others sent before and after. Taiwan's military responds in the best way possible, making sure it is also the most economic, effective, and direct, with the shortest distance and time traveled possible. When dispatching aircraft, many considerations have to be made. There is an SOP for that. But it's also adaptable and flexible. The former officer says many factors have to be considered in a response, and responses are re-evaluated on a rolling basis. A military expert says the goal is to prevent Beijing from turning an act of provocation into an actual attack. The CCP is using gray zone tactics and threats, and adopting quasi-military action. This all comes with an implicit risk that this fainting could turn to warring. The military continues to make adjustments to its combat readiness standards to respond to any threat from China. With incursions happening with increasing frequency, the military is on guard at all times, ready to respond to any urgent situation and defend Taiwan's sovereignty. Meanwhile, South Korea scrambled their fighter jets after Chinese and Russian military aircraft enter its air defense zone in the south and east of the Korean Peninsula. The incursion followed encounters between U.S. and Chinese forces in the Taiwan Strait and South China Sea, which the Biden administration cites as examples of growing aggressiveness on the part of Beijing's military. Voice of America Chief White House Correspondent. 
Patsy Widakuswara looks at the rising tension between global powers playing out in the Indo-Pacific. At least two incidents of close encounters between Chinese and American vessels and aircraft in less than two weeks, including this Chinese warship cutting closely in front of a U.S. destroyer in the Taiwan Straits on Sunday. The incident coincides with trilateral naval exercises in the South China Sea among the U.S., Japanese and Philippine Coast Guards. The U.S. made provocations first, and the Chinese side only responded by handling the incident in accordance with relevant laws and regulations. Since you have disregarded our warning, we will take further necessary measures on you. Encounters between Chinese and other nations' vessels, such as the Philippines, have increased in recent years, along with Beijing's military activity in the region. The U.S. is also adopting a more muscular approach, ramping up drills with allies in the region. Beijing considers these provocations, leading to even more incidents that could easily escalate into conflict. It's part of a new and, and disturbing norm, particularly given the fact that there's limited co uh, excuse me, communication between um, high-level le high defense officials in the United States and uh, China. The White House denies it's partly to blame and says it's trying to talk to Beijing. We're working on this very, very hard, and, and uh, the president's confident uh, that we'll be able to get back to the spirit of Bali between uh, the PRC and the United States. At the annual Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore last week, Beijing declined Washington's request for a face-to-face -face meeting between Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and his Chinese counterpart Li Shangfu, due to sanctions on Li that have not been lifted by the administration. Officials are working to reschedule U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's visit to Beijing that Washington canceled after it shot down a Chinese spy balloon in January. Patsy Widakuswara, VOA News, Washington. A venue has been chosen for this year's National Day Fireworks, which will be returning to Taichung in October. The organizing committee has decided on Uchi Fishing Port as the place for the annual celebrations. Taichung last hosted the pyrotechnic extravaganza nine years ago. But for some, the event is remembered more for its long traffic jams than its spectacular fireworks display. This year's celebrations will take place in a good distance from the urban area. And the city government has been asked to provide a complete plan for transportation to and from the venue. The city will be organizing shuttle buses and parking with a view to ensuring people's safety and convenience when they make their way home after the grand finale. The TRA kicked off a four-day bento box festival Friday with more than 40 participating railway companies from around the world. People started lining up early in the morning, not just for the food, but also for the novelty boxes, which included a ceramic container in the shape of a train, as well as a retro version of the beloved stainless steel round container. Though the bento boxes didn't go on sale until 11 a.m., railway enthusiasts began to line up for the chance to get their hands on the collector's items hours in advance. The Railway Lunchbox Festival has kicked off, with the first limited edition meal starting to sell at 11 a.m. A queue winds throughout the main hall of Taipei Main Station with no end in sight. 
The person at the front traveled all the way from Kaohsiung, arriving at 4.30 a.m. to start the line. The biggest crowd started showing up five hours before sale time. On the menu is a meal served in a ceramic replica of an EMU 3000 train. It's more than just a pretty package. Inside is a delicious serving of Wagyu beef. This boxed lunch is limited to 100 units a day. Then, there's also a pork chop meal served in a retro stainless steel lunchbox. Demand is high for this one, as it may be the last chance to grab any more of these engraved lunchboxes. This lunchbox is a replica of the old TRA lunchboxes. The TRA is getting corporatized next year, so they won't have this name in the future. The event brought together 42 railway companies, each with their own meals. These were among the most popular. It's the limited edition lunchboxes offered by 12 Japanese railway companies taking part in the festival. They were a hit. We expect a number of international visitors to Taiwan to surpass 2.65 million this month. I think railway travel is a big draw for tourists. It wouldn't have the same appeal without the railway lunchboxes, though. This year is the 136th anniversary of the TRA. I would like to wish the TRA a happy birthday. Next year, the TRA will be corporatized, and I wish the company a sustainable future. The Lunchbox Festival will run for four days. The TRA hopes the tasty meals will get more people traveling around Taiwan on train. The Red House in Taipei Ximending was built in 1908 as Taiwan's first public market. Since then, its function has changed many times before becoming a hub of art, trade and culture that it is today. The Red House is now holding an exhibition to showcase its more than 100 years of history. Our reporter Stephanie Yang takes us in for a look. The Red House was built in 1908 by a Japanese architect. It used to be a public market, a bookstore, theater, and cinema. The Red House in Ximending was designed by Japanese architect Kondo Juro during the Japanese colonial rule. It was built in red brick in Western style in an unusual octagonal shape. Upon its completion in 1908, the building served as a public market. Starting in 1945, the building was converted into a theater. Later on, it also became a bookstore and cinema. The Ximen Red House was a public market when it was completed in 1908. It was the most modern market at that time. It had a drainage system, sinks and cooling systems. This historic site is also considered to be the best preserved public market from that area. But after the ROC government came to Taiwan, the building's functions began to change. It became a theater, a bookstore, and a cinema. In 2007, the Taipei Culture Foundation took over management of the Red House with the goal of reviving the local community and promoting the cultural and creative industries. After a series of renovations, the building is now a multi-purpose space. Among other features, it houses a boutique marketplace for artists and a weekend theater. This historical space is now a multifunctional cultural and creative market and a hub for creators. 
We hope that in the future, we will cooperate further with the shopping district and collaborate with partners in the culture industry, as well as with historic buildings in the area. We hope that more local and foreign tourists will learn about our culture and history. To educate visitors on the Red House's storied past, the building is hosting an exhibition featuring artifacts, pictures, posters and films. The collection ranges from unused bricks from the 1900s and film negatives that offer a glimpse into popular films and life back in the day. You can learn about the architectural design from back then, like the red brick exterior with ornamental white bands. Ximending used to have the densest concentration of cinemas in Taiwan. The Red House started screening movies in 1963. We want to thank the Taiwan Film Institute for providing us with these film roles, which allow us to see the unique social and economic environment back then. The exhibition offers audio tours in Mandarin and English so that visitors from Taiwan and abroad can learn about the iconic building. The exhibition will be on until September 3rd. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Su Yusen in Taipei. Well, it was another record catch at Pingdong's Donggang Harbor on Friday. Fishermen scored a single-day catch of 438 black skipjack tuna with 411 fish sold on the spot, making for the biggest sale in the past 10 years and some of the best prices for buyers. A high-quality fish could be bought for as little as 450 NT per kilo. Fat round tuna cover the floor, lined up and ready to go. What a sight. Everywhere you look, someone's pushing a cart with a big black skipjack on it. This is early morning at Pingdong's Donggan Harbor, where the catch has come in strong. 438 fish on a single day. Outside, the boats keep coming into the harbor. Look at this black skipjack. It takes five people to get it in place. You can really see what a good day these fishermen have had. I've been doing this for 15 years and today was huge. We landed 18 black skipjacks. At the auction, it's all buzzing. Every fish has found a buyer and gone off to be cut up. There's no time to spare for anyone. 450 NT per kilogram is the best price. The highest is 450 NT. There was a total of 411 black skipjacks. It's the highest single-day volume in the past 10 years. Donggang saw its biggest catch of the decade. The big catch means prices were also the best it's going to get for buyers. All you foodies out there waiting to taste some black skipjack, don't let this chance pass you by. Let's now take a trip to Tosha Basin in Nanto, also known as Taiwan's top spot for sponge gourd farming. The farmers of Yuchu Township put out beehives in the gourd fields every June. The bees help pollinate the gourds, resulting in a bigger, healthier harvest. Once upon a time, there were plenty of wild bees to do the job, but ecosystem degradation means that bees must now be specially flown in. The farmers say the bees are easy to keep, and they ensure a bountiful crop. A truck full of beehives pulls up. The hives are taken to the sponge gourd fields to help pollinate the vegetables. June to August is sponge gourd season here in Tosha. The gourd fields are full of bright yellow flowers, and they desperately need bees to spread their pollen. It's time to call in the troops. 
Basically, we put 25 beehives in at a time. There's about 20,000 bees in each hive. So that means we have a massive army of 500,000 bees to help keep the gourds fully pollinated here. Yuqi Township is next to Sun Moon Lake in the Tosha Basin. Up here in the mountains, there's a stark drop in temperature as night falls. That combines with the rich soil to produce excellent gourds, sweet and crispy. Yuqi is Taiwan's top producer of sponge gourds. But while bee numbers have declined in recent years, farmers fear that pollination won't be adequate, impacting the quality of the harvest. There are fewer wild bees, so we need to put them out to get the gourds fully pollinated. The local farmers association says gourd pollen is too sticky to rely on the wind to spread it properly. But with the bees' help, those flowers will bear delicious fruit. When we put out the pollinator bees, it tops up the pollination rate and makes the gourds grow better and better. It results in less of a crooked, ugly bunch. It costs very little to put out the pollinator bees, but it can increase the farmer's total annual profit by 20 to 30 percent. The bees are now an annual tradition here in Yuqi, contributing massively to the local farming community. They also reduce the need for pesticides. Next time you spot a nice, healthy gourd at the market, now you know who to thank. Today we meet a building constructor who frequently takes on charity work pro bono. Wu Zihui fixes up damaged homes in rural Xinju for free. A wish to give back to society ignited in him after he suffered a terrible accident last year. He was left with internal bleeding by an accident but was able to make a recovery. Now he has a profound sense of how fleeting and precious life is. We went with him on a pro bono job to help out a family living in a dilapidated house. Wu Zihui kicks the wooden floorboards loose, then goes downstairs to lift the whole second floor clean away. Then it's back upstairs to repeat the process over and over until the whole floor is cleared. This dad broke his leg in a traffic accident. His child was asleep upstairs. And because the upstairs floor was falling to pieces, the child fell through a hole. So I thought I would come over and help them replace the floor, and along the way add in a new beam to support it. The constructor from Shinju County is refitting the floor of this home in Jenshi Township for free. Why won't he take payment? He says he wants to pay back society for his poor choices as a young man and because of a gas explosion he experienced last year at work, which almost killed him. After that accident, I feel that life is very short, and it feels like there are things I should do before I die. We will connect with Mr. Ahui and tell him about the family's situation and their needs, and ask him to assess what he can do to assist them there. Local government representatives are offering Wu a simple thank you in return, but that's very satisfying for the constructor. He says this grounded service to the community is its own reward. Summer is here and it's hot, even when you wake up in the morning. Lots of us splash our faces with cold water first thing in the morning, but doctors say that that could be dangerous for people with cardiovascular problems. The sudden splash of cold water can precipitate a heart attack in rare cases. On the other hand, dermatologists have solemn warnings about hot water. 
They say that washing your face with hot shower water can remove the oils that keep your skin healthy. Let's take a look at medical opinions on face washing. A splash of cold water on the face is a great way to wake yourself up fast. But doctors warn that on a scorching hot day, it could put too much pressure on your cardiovascular system. Rinsing your face with icy water makes your blood vessels contract suddenly. When your blood vessels both dilate and contract in quick succession, it causes fluctuations in your blood pressure, which can cause unexpected results in the arteries of the brain and heart, like heart attacks, strokes, and so on. And that's not all. You might not even get your face clean. Oils dissolve less easily in colder water or icy water, so that might just mean it's harder to wash your face clean. Water that feels just slightly warm or room temperatures, around 20 degrees, is the most suitable for washing yourself. Many people wash their face when they take a shower, but that could also be something to reconsider. Some people shower with water over 40 degrees. Water that hot can easily remove the oils from our skin, causing our skin to dry out and become rough. Too cold and your heart might get a shock. Too hot and your skin could protest. Doctors have very moderate views about the best way to freshen up. An approaching front will be bringing heavy showers all over Taiwan throughout the weekend. The Central Weather Bureau says some of the downpours may even prompt natural disasters. Central and northern Taiwan will be hit by sudden rainfall and heavy rains on Saturday and Sunday. The rainy weather will expand to cover all of the island by Tuesday, with a higher likelihood of rainfall-induced disasters in central and southern Taiwan. This is the fifth plum rain front of the season, and it's expected to be the longest and strongest so far. Though the rains may be a blessing for drought-stricken areas in the south, they may also be dangerous, so gauge the situation before heading outdoors in the next few days.